This is where we get in the car and we're now out and driving in traffic. And traffic is going to have all kinds of different, you know, variations to it, right? Different challenges. I can think about getting to the corner of Whitebridge Road and Charlotte Avenue because I'm going to have to go there later. It does me no good to sit there and, and figure out how I'm going to navigate traffic at that point because I don't know what's going to be there. And this tool in terms of that comes from this insight and working on this really becomes such an important capacity for us to be able to not only enjoy our relationships fully, but to be able to respond to the emergent opportunities that exist when we have trouble. To keep growing. To keep growing is that emotional sobriety is not a state you achieve. It's something that we continue with. We practice. We, <laughs> we, we, we struggle with. We learn about on a daily basis. Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote in 1952, if we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, we will find at the root some unhealthy dependence and its consequent demand. Wilson suggested that if we could identify and continually surrender these unrealistic and unrealizable demands, that we may then be able to accomplish what he imagined to be the recovery's next frontier, something he called emotional sobriety. Flash forward 70 years and join psychotherapists and best-selling authors Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger, who have taken up the mantle of exploring Bill Wilson's new frontier. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety, the podcast. I'm Tom Rutledge, and with me is Dr. Alan Berger. Dr. Berger. Well, how hey, go, Tom. How goes you? <laughs> well, it's, you know, look, you were talking before the show started today about this is a football weekend for us. Yeah, play, playoffs. Yeah. I, was, I, was, well, I was engaged and engrossed last night watching the Boy, I, first of all, I was cold here, but it was colder in Minnesota. I mean, uh, oh, in Wisconsin, in Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Green Bay. Yeah. Yeah. In Wisconsin. I mean, they're right up there in the same area. Right. Uh, Good friends are up in Minnesota and I was talking to them yesterday, freezing their butts off. But my God, it was zero degrees on the field. I know. know. Those guys are playing with, you know, sleeveless shirts. I mean, Mm -hmm. Like my goodness, man! How are they able to move? I, were, I can't. Re- I can't remember. One of the commentators quoted one of the the players of the Packers players uh, saying saying, uh, you know that they they, they you know they they live up there, but they don't they don't like to to play in that kind of cold. But but he's but the, the I wish I could remember who it was because the quotation was that he said um, he said but when it's this cold, he says you really learn who really who wants to play football. <laughs> The great quote. I remember that. Uh, <laughs> Another guy was yeah. saying and stuff like this. He says, he says, I, 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 you know, you're out here. You can't feel your fingers and your toes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You know, you're playing in the cold. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <it>. <laughs> yeah. 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 And when you you're thinking about, well, yeah. And I think about the San Francisco being there, you go, you go like, I, you know, San Francisco, you know, as far, you know, as far as I know, the temperature is always 70 degrees in San Francisco. It's, it's, it's no, it's, it's so just, true. It's, you, it's, I was thinking that those guys, because you know they're getting harassed all. The, oh, you guys coming out of that sunny uh, California? You're not uh-huh. going to play it, brother. 
Well, they played in that weather, man. They, they did. Played. Oh my God. And they they and they weren't ahead until the until four seconds were left on the clock. And then they went ahead at the at the last play of the game. That was, that was exciting. Game. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that a, that's, an, that's an exciting team. It was an exciting the whole game. The defensive I love defensive games. I mean, some people find them boring, but I found that game to be very, very engaging. Really well, like both, well, both games, you know, the Titans and the, you know, and the Bengals were like that too. It's like, like there's some, I mean, some serious defensive play, you know. And right. it's not, yeah, it's not exciting with like, like back and forth scoring, but it's like it's, it's, it's uh, it, when you, when you, when you t- tune in and you realize it's like it's halftime and you know the score is so low, you go like these guys, these guys are making it hard, right? So anyway, I'm excited about the game today. Game well, today. and hopefully this is a segue to our stuff, but let's check in with Patrick first. Patrick. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just uh, I'm always happy to do the show. It's a way to stay moored and a way to be of service. And um, uh, car shopping right now, uh, which is uh, the market's not in a great place. Just, I guess, COVID has uh, created a chip shortage and uh, it's uh, – you know, everything is really marked up. I'm just trying to get creative with uh, the whole uh, driving situation. Gotten a little uh, fender bender about a week ago, and uh, that sucked. That's never that never feels good. But no. luckily, nobody injured, and um, you know, we we both uh, you know we're insured, and uh, you know now we're just kind of parsing through the uh, the details of how. We, well, you uh, well you say fender bender, but you but you're getting a new car, so you, it sounds like a pretty that gives you a little bit more serious an accident. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's it's kind of an older car, so I think the insurance company they just call the total loss when they're looking right. at like the cost of repair weighed against the you know mm-hmm. the cost of getting a new one. Got it. Um, but uh, yeah, no, not to get too sidetracked, but um, you know, it's just uh, I always you know feel better doing uh, these episodes because. Uh, you know, it just kind of keys me into um, the inside out project because life's going to be life and uh, you're going to get uh, all kinds of uh, chops. But there are yep. ways of uh, navigating that. Uh, well, I can't think of a, I, I can't think of a better a better uh, uh, segue, Alan, than that than what Patrick just said in terms of what we we're talking about. Because we're, we're moving to the chapter about one of my favorite things of yours, is, which is uh, holding on to yourself. You know, it's it's like it's you know, it all, I, whenever whenever you use that uh, phrase and that terminology, I always think about my little nutshell that says uh, anybody can have a good day on a good day. You know, it's, it's like, that's, it's the days, it's days that are not, it's the fender bender days and beyond. And some of, you know, the horrible days that's, that's, those, those are the, those are the days where we really are challenged to practice our recovery. Well, it really is. And, you know, and what we've been doing here as we've been walking through the different chapters of this book is it's really, we're putting together a kind of a quilt, aren't we? A patch mm-hmm. or it's a mm, patchwork. patchwork. Yeah. Yeah. All of the different elements that are involved in emotional sobriety here. And, you know, it all starts with, as we've talked many times before, with awareness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've we've got to, we've got to cultivate and expand our awareness. We've got to look at the forces within us that that are uh, posing us becoming aware of some of our behavior and what we're doing. Because, you know, without full awareness, we're not going to be able to achieve emotional sobriety. But here we come, when we apply awareness now to um, our relationship with ourselves and with others, 
this holding on to ourselves becomes such a key to achieving emotional sobriety because it, you know, it's, I, I've been doing my continuing education and every two years I, I fill myself with some new information and make these connections that, you know, this Dr. Jeffrey uh, Zeig, um, mm-hmm. who's the architect of the Evolution of Psychotherapy Conference, and I, I kind of modeled our conference, the Evolution of Addiction mm-hmm. Treatment, after Zeig's conference, mm-hmm. in, in Anaheim, it's usually held in Anaheim, every two years or so, and now it looks like it's going to be every year, they bring together all these masters from all the different fields. There's 286 different approaches to psychotherapy right now. I'm sure there's more. <laughs> and there's probably more, but when you think about that. But I get, but I understand what you're saying about that. For, formal models. Psychoanalysis. Yeah. We had psychoanalysis. Yeah. We had behavior therapy. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and then, you know, whatever else that we had. It, drilling. Right. <laughs> Right. Where you drill a hole in somebody's head with a drill. And then well, that, that, uh, one of my favorite was William Glasser, you know, uh, uh, that we had that. Well, that one came yeah. later. That started, yeah. His yeah. choice theory. Right. Yeah. yeah his yeah. choice. But in the beginning, there was only a handful of different approaches to psychotherapy, yeah. Yeah. psychoanalysis, existential analysis and union therapy became right. an option. Right. At one yeah. Point. Yeah. And then everything started to branch out, right? Then behaviorism turned into cognitive behavioral therapy, turned into, well, first rational emotive therapy with Albert Ellis. And I mean, uh-huh. we've just seen an explosion, an explosion in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's exciting. I, I, I think it's oh, great yeah. because, because it means that people are thinking and being critical about it and trying to come up with different ways of helping folks. It's a very exciting time. Well, me. one of the things, one of the things it's been a long time since you and I've stood in front of a group of people uh, in person with people, but one of the things I know that we, you and I both have emphasized at the beginning of our uh, points of intervention workshops has always been, you know, we want you to, you know, it's, I guess it's a part of the old AA principle of take what's helpful, leave what's not, but it's more than that. It's, it's, you know, what we want you to be able to do is take this and integrate it into your own way of, of doing this. It's yeah. like, it's a creative process. It's like, you know, I, I tell people, you know, that we, you know, we all need to have the humility to basically learn from other people. And we need to be able to, to understand when we don't, when we, when we're new at something, we need to learn more about it. And I love, you know, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say that I think that, that you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like you as well is, you know, I still feel like I'm learning a lot and, and continue to learn. And, and I put myself in those situations where I can, but, but, the, but the, the idea here is that after you've been doing this for a long time, we're talking about therapists. If you're doing this, somebody says, what model of therapy do you use? I, I always, I always cringe a little bit. If somebody just says just purely one thing instead of it's really, the answer should be mine. Yeah, you know, that's right. Not even just the old standard. Oh, I'm eclectic. It's like, well, that just feels like you have a, a trunk full of stuff that you use at random. But it's it's like, it's like no. I mean, hopefully, I mean, and and maybe this is you 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 can confront me on this one, Alan. If it's true, it's, maybe this is me becoming just just about. It's just an aging process thing. But I, the longer I stay at this, the more it becomes um, as much philosophy as it is psychology. They're so true. It's so true. And 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 that's where the creativity comes in, yeah. I think. Oh, I, I think so. That's right. 
Well, left my ADD takes us too far afield. Where I was going to tie this thing back to uh-huh. was um, <laughs> was that one of the workshops I went to was um, with Dr. Martin Seligman. And Dr. Martin Seligman's a professor at um, University of Pennsylvania, UPenn, just down the road from me now. And he's got about 50 years teaching and researching, probably, you know, published over 500 articles and stuff like that. He's an academic psychologist, but brilliant man. I started following his career when I was an undergraduate. So this is back in the 70s, right? Quite some time ago. And I've kind of stayed up with with his evolution in the field. And his first work was on learned helplessness. Then he started to study optimism. And that's now, where I know his name from, the learned helplessness, right? Like his name is very right. familiar to me. You okay. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. His, he, he helped us understand the psychological components of depression. I mean, in, in so yeah, many yes. important ways. His work, Albert Bandura's work on self-efficacy. I mean, these guys really brought us really focusing on on important issues. But recently, the last 15 years, he's introduced to psychology what's called positive psychology, mm-hmm. which is now there's a whole psychotherapy based on it. There's a whole teaching approach based on it. I mean, he, he's, to me, he's exemplary of what a successful career, academic career as a psychologist looks like. He's, he's amazing. So he gave this talk on... Um, on personal agency. And I want to tie it into this holding on to yourself okay. because it's so relative. So for, for him, what personal agency is, it's, it's the felt experience of being able to make a difference in your life. Meaning that, that you, that it's not what happens to you. It's, it's kind of based on old John Wooden's statement. It, it's people that do the best are the people that make the best of what they have and what mm-hmm. they experience, right? And that's what personal agency is. It's the sense that I am the immediate cause of my well-being and happiness. Mm-hmm. So it's how I digest the experiences I have, how I make contact with them, how I perceive them, how I process them. It's all of that stuff. And I was thinking, God, you know what he was talking about when he was talking about that personal agency has so much to do with holding on to yourself Yeah, is being able to be in a situation and be able to deal with that situation where you don't get lost in it, where you don't get overtaken by the situation, where you don't get um, consumed by it, where you where you don't erase yourself in this situation. All of that has so much to do with holding on to yourself. So that was one thing. Then I went to another great workshop with, with Dr. Michael Allen Vincent, who's the uh, president of the, of the New York Gestalt Therapy Institute. And he gave this incredible talk on on falling in and out of love. And it was it was I mean, first of all, you know, he he's a philosopher and he's an English major. Those were his two studies. And and then he became like you, then he became a therapist. So 
literally he read a manuscript for about an hour and 20 minutes. And typically when I've gone to continuing education workshop where somebody reads a manuscript, I'm done after five minutes. Oh yeah. Can you go, I'll read it. I'll read it. I don't need you to read it to me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I was riveted. Uh Every word was so crafted so well Mm -hmm. and was so juicy (laughs) and Mm -hmm. so descriptive. It's, It's like he writes with texture. Mm-hmm. That's the way I could yeah, describe yeah, it. Yeah, it was yeah. so wonderful. I mean, I've listened to it probably three times. I just can't. So the, con- the content, I- the content's one thing, but just but the but the but the actual writing itself was was it's was like exquisite. It's a book of poetry. Yeah. I mean, each sentence like it's like a, a, each is a line of poetry. I mean, he's he's just brilliant. The way he he, I'll, I'll have to pull a few things next for our next okay. podcast. Okay with you but here was his point he says look one of the greatest struggles that we have when we enter in a relationship he says in the beginning when we fall in love we want to surrender ourselves completely he says isn't it funny though surrender has two meanings in a relationship it can be a wonderful thing we surrender ourselves to this lovely romantic feeling that we're having he says surrender in military means you've lost I mean, mm-hmm. he says yep. these things all have two meanings. Mm-hmm. He says the bond that holds us together. Well, a bond is also something that that is imprisoning That's you. Yeah, stuff like that. So he he says he says we got to pay attention to all of these things have two poles to them. Mm-hmm. And he was saying in relationships, he says after you get through that romantic phase, he says then the real work takes place. And that's how much individuality versus how much togetherness you're going to have. And he says, people get a lot of anxiety about getting lost in a relationship or not losing being able it, to get Losing, losing the relationship. Losing yeah. the relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so, it, it was so part, but all of this comes back to what we're talking about mm-hmm. is, is this thing about holding on to yourself and how to do that. And how to keep a sense of yourself and still stay connected. Yeah. You see, that's the challenge is how do we stay engaged with whatever it is, whether it's with our partner or whether it's a difficult situation in our life. Let's say you're dealing with a situation at work or even you, Patrick. Let's say, how do you hold on to yourself when you have a car accident? How do you not turn against yourself? Start blaming yourself for the thing, right? Because as soon as you do that, you're not going to be coping effectively with the thing because now you're a schmuck. You're an idiot for getting in the accident. You shouldn't have done that. You should have been doing more of this. You should have been doing this. And now all of a sudden, it's not just about getting a new car. It's finding a new Patrick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, There's a quote about growing self. Uh, you, you quote Virginia Satir in this. Uh, if your rules say that whatever feeling you have is human and therefore acceptable, the self can grow. And would that be key to the solution here, the emotionally sober? Well, it is It is in terms of accepting ourselves. And look, Tom and, and, and I have talked a lot about this, and we keep bringing it into the Thursday night emotional sobriety meeting. You know, and if you're listening to the podcast and you haven't attended the Thursday night meeting, the community that, that we've come been able on, to- join us, join us. Yes. Yes, please come and join us because it's turned into, I mean, Tom and I, 
get to witness firsthand how a community mm-hmm. can be so therapeutic for people. I mean, we've known that from our experience in AA, but we've seen people in this group on Thursday nights have some amazing yeah. experiences, Tom, haven't they? Carol well, comes to yeah. Well, yeah, and I think that I think that has to do. I mean, of course, it's it's a it's a wonderful validation of what we both have believed about community and about group. I mean, oh my God, I, I mean, I was if I was you know if I was born anything, I think I was born a group therapist. It's like I love groups so much. It's like the power of that, and it, it's but but the other piece about that is that there is a you know and I'm, and you and I are very process oriented, but there's a content part of this what we're experiencing, and I, and this is related to what we're talking about about holding under us. And the content, the content part is, you know, the the holding onto ourselves is, you know, I think it's, it's maybe maybe it's just because we're on this chapter, but I, but I think in in the bigger picture, it really is the it is the crux of, of emotional sobriety. It's like it's like it's one thing. Again, it's like learning. I think of it as learning. You learn to drive a car in an empty parking lot, and you know, and in or on the back roads, but then you got to yeah. take it into traffic, you know. And, and and what this chapter is about, what you're talking about today is. Is is this is about this is about taking it into heavy duty traffic and That's and right. and and be, you know and one of the things my dad my dad taught me about driving told me about driving I don't know if I was too long to learn it but he said he's he said the vast majority of accidents you're going to avoid in your life would not have been your fault yeah. and it was and it, it it took me a while I mean the, the the wisdom of that you know only occurred to me later in my life but but he was talking only about driving but you know he was he was skipping past that adolescent part where you know I was going to say well that wasn't my fault that wasn't my fault and he was saying something that you and I say a lot that you certainly have said in your work with emotional sobriety is we're not, we're not talking about fault. We're not doing that. It's like, it, that's not what this is about. This is about how you respond. And it's right. like, in, in, in that case, it's like, you know, defensive driving is actually a pretty good example, you know, if, of, uh, uh, you know, if somebody pulls in front of me, uh, you know, uh, abruptly, you know, do I, how much energy am I going to give to just cussing that person out and thinking they're horrible human beings, as opposed to, you know, you know, getting on with my own life. And, and uh, so I think, yeah, anyway, talk about, talk about digressing, but it's, it's like the, I, but the idea is this, this stuff does in fact come back to, you know, how can I take what I'm learning? How can I take what I'm, what's changing inside of me? Because I'm, you know, uh, I think it might've been before we started recording, but, but, but uh, Patrick talked about the inside out part that, you know, the growth from the inside out, how can I take what's, what's, what I am transforming from the inside out and really make it work in the, in the world. And especially when, when times are difficult. Yep. Well, I wanted to read the first few lines of this chapter because I think it really puts yes. it in context for us. Yep, yep. So, in his chapter fourteen, which is the last insight, he says, "I've, I've, or I've said, I said, I've saved the toughest." The, the, the author, the author says, <laughs> "The author said, I've saved the toughest insight for last, and yet it's also potentially the most rewarding. Loving relationships give us remarkable potential to grow." But they are all. But they also test our practice of emotional sobriety like nothing else. Hmm. You see, the thing about emotional sobriety is that it's not really something you do on your own that much. Most of the practice is about how we relate, hmm. how we relate to the hard facts of the universe, 
quote, reality, right? How we relate to ourselves, our fortunes and misfortunes in our history, how we relate to our family and friends, and most difficult of all, how we relate to the people we love. So I think it's so important to put this in context because you're right, Tom. This is where we get in the car and we're now out and driving in traffic. And traffic is going to have all kinds of different, you know, variations to it, right? Different challenges. I can think about getting to the corner of White Bridge Road and Charlotte Avenue because I'm going to have to go there later. It does me no good to sit there and and figure out how I'm going to navigate traffic at that point because I don't know what's going to be there. And this tool in terms of that comes from this insight and working on this really becomes such an important capacity for us to be able to not only enjoy our relationships fully, but to be able to respond to the emergent opportunities that exist when we have trouble. To keep growing. To keep growing is that emotional sobriety is not a state you achieve. It's something that we continue with. We practice. We, 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 we struggle with. We learn about on a daily basis. Well, I mean, one of the things I said when you were saying earlier, I wrote down uh, you were saying about how to get how do we how we can get in our relationships or in a difficult situation and not get lost. And what I wrote down or or not stay lost, because that's right. part of the process. I always want people to know because you, they're you know, and I've said this to, to people I worked with with eating disorders for decades now. But I'll but I think it, it equally applies to any of this stuff. And that is there is there is no such thing as actual authentic really solid recovery from this without recovery from perfectionism. And it's like the idea that that we're not going to lose our place, you know, especially when we're talking about emotional stuff. I mean, we're not talking about not, you know, it's like we're not we're not, you know, I'm not, not we're not talking about a, a, a statement of, of something that has to do with volition, picking up a drink or doing this behavior, or that behavior. We're talking about the inner world of us as human beings and and, and the unpredictable. St- There's lots of unpredictable stuff that comes to us from the outside, of course. But we also need to understand that it's also com- a very unpredictable in terms of how we, what kind of responses we're having. And as as as, not to get too convoluted with that, but but part of being responsible is is responding to our responses, responding to our reflexes. Our reflexes don't change that much. You know, the same shit hurts my feelings. The same shit pisses me off. You know, that kind of stuff. It's that you know. Again, you talk about it so often in terms of Victor Frankl's work of of that 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 little space and time. You know, between stimulus and response, it's like. That's the present moment. That's and, and that's where we hold on to ourselves. That's where we discover it. That's right. It's in that that's space. It. And you're mm-hmm. saying it very, very well. And and look, why this chapter came in so late in terms of this discussion is because we need an awareness that has been cultivated by all of the other insights that we've been looking at as we've talked about this book is I need to be aware of my emotional dependency and how that's, you know, contributing to me losing my center of gravity. So if, you know, one way of thinking in visually for me of holding on to myself, it's like, it's like really taking my emotional center of gravity and putting it back in myself. It's like keeping yes. the locus of control within me and not putting it in someone else. And that to me is a visual thing. I really think about it as like pulling it back into my, in the, you know, in, into my, into my, you know, center of gravity. 
and physical gravity and pulling mm -hmm. it right back into that same spot. And that's what we're looking at with this whole thing is how to do that, how to keep ourselves centered. Or if we lose balance, like you said, Tom, mm -hmm. if we lose that balance, how can we recover it quickly? Yeah. Because we're not going to keep our balance 100. Look, those gymnasts that get on the balance beam, they do a remarkable job. How many times are they able to have a perfect performance where they never have a bobble or that moment of shakiness on that beam? Mm -hmm. A few of them have. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. rare. And these are people that have put in a lot of hours in terms of being able to do that. That's, I think, a great metaphor for our life is because even as you get really good at this stuff, we're going to have our moments, man, where we're going to struggle. That's a great point. Even, even, even the, the absolute masters, you know, you know, in, in those, you know, when, in what are we seeing? We're seeing the perfect moments out of, you know, if you, how many times have this person done that? It's like, well, there's, there, there is literally countless. I mean, nobody knows how many times that is. And, and so if there is that perfect moment, it's like, that's great. But it's like, that's not what's, that's, that's, you know, if you, if you're, it will go to perfectionism. If that's what you're looking for, those are the people who would quit. They're not going right. to, they're not going to, whatever, whatever, whatever the task, whatever the, the practice they're going to, they're going to, you know, perfection, you know, that's one of the things I want people to know and I always want to re reinforce here is what perfectionism does is perfectionism is self is, is self victimization. And, it, and, and yep. basically self, so perfectionism will eventually, it leads you to torture yourself, but it, it basically, it leads, it leads us to quit yep. because, and it's logical because if, if the goal is to do this perfectly, you know, if our goal is to do a perfect podcast, I won't be here next week because why would I set myself up for that? It's like, right. That's, that's right. not going to happen. It's yeah, like, yeah. so no, we're, it's perfection get, leads us to quitting. And it's like maybe even not even on the outside because we're so scared of people's judgment. But on the inside, we just shut down. It's like so. Well, we're so scared of I, our own judgment, right? We're yeah. scared of our own judgment. What we're gonna feel like if we fail? I mean, yeah. that 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 thing. That, well, of that, course, that, it's that, our own judgment that we're projecting out on everybody else, anyway. This becomes very a very very important thing, and I'm so glad that we're talking about how perfection is because I was thinking about the child's mind, right? Mm -hmm. Look, when we're learning to walk, we don't yeah. have this this you know in Freudian. Psychology, they call it the superego, right? The critic, mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. that, that part that's judging. And, and with mm -hmm. Gestalt therapy, we call it the top dog. You know, mm -hmm. you call it the should monster. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. We have all these different mm -hmm. phrases for that part of ourselves that is very judgmental, critical, harsh, demanding, black and white, very absolute, mm -hmm. right? That's how that part of us thinks. It has mm -hmm. that kind of a consciousness to it. And and that that part, when it shows up, makes learning a challenge. Mm -hmm. It makes it very difficult to learn things because we learn by processing the, and taking the information from our mistake and then trying it again. Yeah. yeah. Somebody called it. It's, it's a series of successive approximations. Perfect. Perfect. 
I can't believe we're using that word since we're talking about perfectionism, but it's close to perfect. I should say close to perfect and successive approximations. We're trying to figure it out. Successive Mm -hmm. approximations. Mm -hmm. How am I going to figure this thing out? Well, that's what emotional sobriety is about. So, you know, you know, please, if you're struggling with this stuff, it's good news. It's not bad news. You know, I love when you say, Tom, sometimes you feel it's sadistic when you say, man, when I see somebody having a hard time, I have a little smile inside of me. Yeah. I, know, I know what's going to be happening here. Right. Right. There those some some of those things that feel the worst. And, and, and depending on where the person is, we, we do let them in on that. Some of the things that feel we've seen, we've talked to a few people on the Thursday night group this way that feel the worst at the beginning. It's it's like, you know, we, we want we, if, if we feel like they're open to hearing it, we want them to know these are the right landmarks. You know, it's like they, they feel they feel bad. But it's like if I gave you directions to my house and, you, you know, and said you got to go down to that Walgreens and turn left and then come up on the Starbucks and then turn right and then come up between two Walgreens and turn. You know, it's like that's how they're going to give directions in the future. It's uh, but but I mean, you're it doesn't matter. The acceptance is it doesn't matter what the landmark is. It's just telling, you know, what we see when they're in a certain kind of pain, when they're aware, where they're no longer hiding from it, when it's, when it's, when the work that they've already done is, 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 is opening themselves to surf that those, the pain that suffer surf surface and they suffer. It's like, yeah, that we go, all right, now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. It's right. like, yeah. And it's like, it's not sadistic. It's like, we're excited for you. It's like, it's like, no, 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 this is the, you know, and we want you to understand that. Yeah, this is, this, this is what you're feeling right now is not for nothing. It's like, this is, this is going to deliver you. And we know there's an emerging opportunity here. See, that's it. There's that's always it. an emerging opportunity in any situation, especially when you're struggling, when there's a crisis, when you're in pain, you know, you can't see it oftentimes because we can't because of, of for a lot of reasons, you know, we we just, you know, we don't have, you know, nobody's ever helped us see the other possibilities. We're stuck. You know, depression narrows your ability just to see other possibilities and see any future. I mean, all of these things. But, you know, coming back to this sense of personal agency, personal agency is that sense that there's there's a couple different components to it. One is this sense of self-efficacy. I do have the skills to cope with reality as it is. See, it's that sense that I can handle this stuff. And Bill Wilson got that. He says we can we can have our emotional sobriety regardless of what's happening to our life. You know, whether it's success or failure, whether it's sickness or health, he says it's not dependent on anything. So that's a sense of self-efficacy. Well, go back to Seligman's work. Well, he also said another component to this personal agency is optimism, is not only can I deal with this right now, but whatever comes to me in my future, I'm going to be able to handle as well. So my sense of confidence now projects out into the future, and and I'm not so afraid of what's coming down the road. When we first started working together, Alan, um, you know, uh, one thing that struck me was that you were we were very encouraging for me to seek out relationships and to engage with people and to challenge myself and in hindsight that makes a lot of sense because once physical sobriety is kind of is attained then the work becomes the emotional sobriety and which only you only grow that right in your relation to others and in your conflict with these things that's right that's right 
So, you know, when you got in a relationship with your girlfriend right now, I was so happy. And when you'd come <laughs> in and say, oh, we're struggling, I'd say, great. <laughs> and, and, and inside, I'd secretly say, yeah, and you're yeah. Going, God dang it, you know, you know, because, because you, you know, at that point, we don't have the skills to be able to, you know, separate the wheat from the chaff, right? To be able to get the nourishment from the experience, you know, that takes a certain perspective, et cetera, et cetera. So, so I, I'm excited that we're at this point in the book and talking about this, and I'm looking forward to our, our discussions about this over the next few weeks. Yeah, it's Me pretty too. crucial. Me too. Let me, let me just toss in one thing. I know we're getting, you're going to, we're getting to wrap up here, but it's like, because I don't want to, because I will never remember this. I want to go back to the word optimism you were just using, yeah. Alan, uh, yeah. is, and, and the whole idea of, of, you know, there's, there's, it's sort of like there's optimism by faith or belief to start with. And we do ask people to kind of trust us on that. You know, it's like, you know, like what Patrick's good description, he would, you know, it's like, um, my, my actually, my first wife taught me that it's possible to borrow somebody's confidence in you. You know, she, she said that one time. You know, she said you don't have much right now, but why don't you borrow some of mine? And it's it's like, but then when you actually have some success and and being out there and coping and dealing with a difficult situation, it moves from belief to known. It's like it's it, and it doesn't mean it's always there, but it means now I know what it feels like. And and one of the things we emphasize to people and we want to emphasize to our listeners is. It's really easy to hold on. When we talk about holding on, it's really easy to hold on to the negative stuff. It's really easy to hold on to the because those those inner saboteurs are bullies, and they will. They, you do not have to sit there and create affirmations to remember your negative negative outcomes or negative feelings. They will keep reminding you. It's our job you know, when we're working toward our own recovery and our own emotional sobriety to hold on to those new knowns, which is, which is that, which is what optim, what really does build optimism. It's like the reason it's not, it's not namby pamby positive thinking, Oh, everything's going to be just fine. What it means is, you know, that feeling of I, I, I'm going to be able to handle this. And then with, as time goes on, it becomes grounded in, I'm going to be able to handle this because I've been able to handle things in the past. Yeah. I know what to do, you know, and you know, one of the little nutshells that I have that a current client of mine and I came up with says, it just says, I, I know what to do when I don't know what to do. Yeah. And that's what this is. That's right. That's right. So exciting. We'll look forward to doing this next week. Me too. Go Rams. And please give us, give us a follow at, um, on Twitter at M sobriety pod. We're going to be posting there regularly. And, um, so, so that's E M right. Yeah. I'll put it in the chat. Not, not the, it's, but it's not the letter. It's the E M. Right. Right. It's uh, it's it's E M like auntie M from (laughs) wizard of Oz. It's okay. M M sobriety. What pod? Pod. That's, like we're pod, pod people. We're we're we're, no, we're casters of pod. Yeah, the three of us. We're casters of pod. Great to see you guys, and we will continue uh, this theme next week. Tinge your life, tinge your myth. Cultivate your narrative with whomever you're with. Then with glass in hand and children on one knee, bring some stories. Bring your stories back to me 
It ain't a crime to be a human Never be ashamed to be yourself Rest assured that whatever you're doing Will entertain me like nobody else So here's to us, my old friends Until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again With glass in hand and children on one knee Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me